Hey guys, welcome back to the End of the Bench podcast. Today we're going to talk about the NFL and how that played out this weekend, uh, some of the primetime games that are really changing the playoff picture right now, as well as in the end of this episode, we'll get into some of the NBA games and college basketball games that have went on through this week too since Sunday. I want to start taking a look at the new updated playoff picture for the NFL. In the AFC, you have the one seed as the Titans, who are obviously without Derrick Henry, but I think can still go a long way with their good receiving court. And Julio Jones, who's been out for a while too, even with just A.J. Brown and what they've made out of some of their other pieces that have come off the bench and really provided a big leap for them. Um, Their last loss, I think, was against the Patriots. After that, the Chiefs, you have to definitely take a look at them every year. They started the season pretty poorly. Um, now, with an 11-5 record tying the uh, Titans, but the Titans hold the tiebreaker right now. Then the Bengals. I want to get a little bit more into the Bengals because they have Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, and I think a very underrated defense as well. They, this year, have been, in my eyes, probably one of the teams that are the biggest underdogs for the Super Bowl right now. If they can get a team in the first round that gives them a little bit of momentum, I think they can go a long way in the playoffs, making it to the Super Bowl or the AFC Championship, uh, either or. Afterwards, you have two teams that are right next neck and neck, uh, the Bills and Patriots. The Patriots right now, after watching the Jags game, which they won 50-10, to 10, which we'll get into later about more of the statistics, uh, statistical ways of how that game played out. The Patriots lost to the Bills once and won to the Bills once. And the win against the Bills was in a very poor weather game. Uh, it was, I don't know if it really, in my counts, because Mac Jones threw, threw the ball three times and the Bills can never get their offense really going because they're a very pass-heavy team when it comes to teams like the Patriots because Devin Singletary and Zach Moss aren't really good heads of the the backfield. But the Patriots and the Bills, I think, are two very good teams that can go deep in the playoffs if they want to. The Patriots need to rely on their defense right now, and Mac Jones can be very sway on how he plays, especially with Nelson Aguilar still being out. I don't know if our... The Patriots, sorry, wide receivers core can be led by a guy like Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers isn't a real number one wide receiver. He's more of a slot wide receiver that you want on third and second down, but instead he's running the one right now because the Patriots don't really have a number one wide receiver like a lot of other teams in the league. You have the Titans with A.J. Brown, the Chiefs with like a Tyree Kill, the Bengals with a Jamar Chase. The Bills even with a Stefan Diggs, and then you get to the Patriots, and it's like you have Jacoby Myers, who's okay, but like after that, it drops off, especially right now with injuries and COVID protocols and everything. But right under the Patriots, a team that actually beat them earlier this year, the Colts. The Colts have looked very good at times and at other times questionable. The good Colts with Jonathan Taylor running for five touchdowns in the game look like they can go on and win the Super Bowl without much competition. They have a great quarterback in Carson Wentz this year who's exceeded a lot of expectations of fans, as well as the big leap in Jonathan Taylor's performance this year and uh, other performances by their wide receiving core. 
T.Y. Hilton hasn't been really as much of a part. He is getting older, and he's not as much of a a young wide receiver that can go out and make plays for you. But that's where they got in Michael Pittman Jr., who now has taken over that role and has been their really number one wide receiver. But why do you need a great receiving game when you have a running back like Jonathan Taylor? Now, another team that has, I think, a lot of star talent that can make it really far in the playoffs is the Chargers. Nine and seven is their record right now, which is tied with the Colts. At the seventh seed, they have Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Jared Cook, and Justin Herbert, and even Austin Eckler. That offense is a stacked offense that I think is a is a Super Bowl bound team. And they have the potential to get there if they can just kind of pull together, get their defense going a little bit better, who have struggled, and just rally to the Super Bowl. But I think the teams that you're going to be really wanting to pay attention to is the Colts, Chiefs, Bengals, and Titans. I don't think, even though the Patriots and Bills are 10 and 6 right now, I think they can get outpowered. Bengals, Chiefs, and Titans team. Even the Colts team. I think the Colts team on a good day can be better than the Titans or Chiefs. But in the hunt right now, you have the Raiders, Steelers, and Ravens. 9-7, and 8-7-1, seven, seven and 8-8. And eight and eight. All these teams still have a chance of getting in the playoffs, but with some of the matchups next week in divisional games because of uh, the new extended season in Week 17, I think that those teams are going to get shut out. I think the talent that's in the top seven right now in the AFC playoff picture is going to stay, and I think those are the teams that deserve to be in the playoffs. Now, moving on to the NFC, you have your clear favorites as the Packers, 13-3, uh, and three, best record in the NFL right now. Then, I think a good, solid Rams team at 12-4 and four, with good additions in uh, Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. The Rams did suffer a pretty hard loss in uh, some of their wide receiving core as Robert Woods, of course, towards ACL, but Cooper Cup has been outstanding this year. Definitely a high up candidate for offensive player of the year, along with players like Jonathan Taylor, of course. But right after them is the Buccaneers, who have the same record as them. The Buccaneers the last couple of weeks have struggled, especially this week against the Jets um, and their loss of Antonio Brown uh, out of his kind of, I don't know how you would categorize that more of like a a temper tantrum, I think I'm going to categorize that as. Uh, him leaving the field and being what we know of now is cut by the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers still have um, rights to him as of the moment. But even with him gone and Chris Godwin, who's out for the season, you still have players like Rob Gronkowski and Mike Evans and even some other tight ends that can do good for you, like uh, OJ. And I don't know if... They did get into the playoffs if they had any chance, and especially this week, I don't know if they can. I don't know if they can win and play next, uh, unless they were playing the Buccaneers. Because I guess the Buccaneers and the Saints during regular season is just a total Saint show. But now we're gonna get on to some of the NFL scores of the week. I won't take too long on this because I kind of want to get to basketball and play a little bit more role in that uh, for this week's episode. I'm only gonna go to some of the uh, biggest games and the most important. Uh, that definitely has to start off with a chiefs Bengals game. 34-31. Bengals ended up winning this game. That kicked KC out of the one spot and put the Titans there. Joe Burrow, 30 for 39, 446 yards, four touchdowns. And how impressive that is 
even more impressive Jamar Chase with 11 receptions, 266 yards, three touchdowns. With Jamar Chase and Mac Jones right now, it's a very, as seen as a very tight offensive rookie of the year race. The defensive rookie of the year is going to Micah Parsons, and that's not really a, I don't think anyone can see that going otherwise, but I think Jamar Chase with how his statistics has looked this season and how well he's been playing for, especially a rookie getting that kind of stat line. I think he's definitely going to end up getting the offensive rookie of the year. Don't get me wrong. Mac Jones is a great player, especially as a rookie leading his team right now into the playoffs. And we'll see how far they go in the end of that. But Jamar Chase took this team and changed their dynamic from last year, what they did to this year and how Joe Burrow has now performed with him. And a lot of people were angry at the pick of the uh, Bengals getting this wide receiver instead of a offensive lineman that went to the Lions. And Jamar Chase is probably the best pick they could have had at the spot they drafted. So I think he has been a phenomenal player and one of the reasons that they're tenants. Patrick Mahomes, on the other hand, went 26 for 35, 259 yards, two touchdowns. It's not the Patrick Mahomes that we are used to seeing, but it's still, if any other quarterback had that stat line, it's still something that you respect. Um, I don't think the Chiefs in the second half played as well as they did in the first half, and they kind of let the game get away from them. But then again, they're on their backup running back in uh, Williams, who had 14 carries, 88 yards, and two touchdowns. The receiving leader on the Chiefs team for the first time that I can remember wasn't Tyree Killer, Travis Kelsey. Mostly because Kelsey had five catches for 25 yards and Hill had six catches for 40 yards. McCole Hardman was their leading receiver. Uh, he had one reception on one target for 53 yards. Their deep game was very much cut off by the Cincinnati Bengals. And I respect the Cincinnati Bengals defense for holding an explosive offense like the Chiefs. The scoreboard shows, yeah, 31 points, but they held their biggest power, which is the deep ball and chunking on the field to a very minimum. So I give the Bengals full credit on how they performed in this game. And that was probably the most important game of the week. Um... I'm going to get to a upset now that I think was very influential in the playoff race. Raiders Colts, 23-20 final score Raiders. Carson Wentz went 16 for 27, 148 yards in a touchdown, which stat line doesn't look good, but matched up to Derek Carr, who went 24 for 31, 255 yards a touchdown and two interceptions. Looks looks decent. I, I will say Carson Wentz has got more a lot. Uh, more protective of the ball. He doesn't throw as many interceptions as he did with the Eagles. He does also have a lot more weapons And Jonathan Taylor who had 20 carries, 108 yards and a touchdown. Michael Pittman Jr., who I was talking about earlier, who I said kind of took over that uh, position as the number one wide receiver on the team, had six receptions for 47 yards. But the Raiders, on the other hand, I think they had a, a star in the rough, a diamond in the rough, may I say, kind of come up that they weren't expecting in uh, uh, Zay Jones. Zay Jones was their leading receiver with eight receptions, 120 yards. And for a, a guy that just kind of come up and do that, it's really impressive for the Raiders. And it probably helped them get that three-point win against Colts. And this kept their playoff 
hopes alive instead of putting them at an eight and eight record, which would have been a lot harder to get in. The Colts are now looking at a playoff picture where they have to face a team that's 11 and five or 10 and six, which is close to their record. But a lot of those top three teams in the AFC playoff picture have a lot of star power. And I don't know if their defense can stop it. Leonard this year at linebacker has had a lot of success and I think their defense has very much improved, but I don't think it's at a point where it can stop one of those teams. And I think that that upset was kind of devastating for him because I think they needed that high spot to start off with to get like good far run in the playoffs. The game of the week in my eyes, that was very important to the whole playoff picture of the NFC and AFC was probably the Raven Rams. The Ravens were without their starting quarterback in Lamar Jackson, but Huntley has had a couple games where he's shined and looked like a player that can lead this team to a couple wins and get them into the playoffs. Uh, not this game. Rams won 20-19 on a late-game drive uh, with a touchdown to Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, but Cooper Cup, of course, still the leading receptions uh, for the Los Angeles Rams. Six receptions, 95 yards, and a touchdown. Not a normal Cooper Cup game of where he gets these humongous stats, but especially enough to win for the Rams, which was a needed win because dropping to 11-5 and in the NFC right now is pretty devastating to where they are right now. Mark Andrews, on the other hand, was the leading receptions uh, leader for the Baltimore Ravens. Six receptions, 89 yards. Not quite what they were looking for this year. Uh, Baltimore Ravens lost J.K. Dobbins before the season started and then also lost their backup running back. So they're at Devontae Freeman at a starting running back right now and had LeVon Bell for a little while. That's not going to get them to the playoffs, and I don't think that if they did get in the playoffs, they would go. Um, I think the only way they had a chance was if Lamar Jackson kind of piggybacked the Ravens into the playoffs and won them a couple games. But Lamar Jackson's playoff history hasn't been very bright. We're going to go on to a NFC battle for positioning again uh, against a team that didn't really have any chance at the playoffs this year, Buccaneers-Jets. The Jets actually took an early lead in this game. Uh, they were looking pretty good. And then all of a sudden, Antonio Brown had his whole dilemma where he left the field, kind of threw his stuff in the stands, and nobody really knows what he did after that. But he was seen at the Grizzlies-Brooklyn Nets game that same night so he definitely didn't catch a ride back with the Buccaneers but after that moment the tides kind of changed the Buccaneers started getting some good drives and they ended up winning 28-24 and again this is a big win for them because dropping to 11-5 and in the NFC right now is not good okay this is this is where I was kind of caught off guard by the whole like dynamic of where Tampa Bay's offense was started because Ronald Jones Jr. early in the game got injured as well. So they went, LeVon Bell, I think, was their leading rusher this game. Leading receiver was Rob Gronkowski with seven receptions, 115 yards. And I think they're really going to have to focus on their tight ends right now, especially with Antonio Brown most likely gone and Chris Godwin definitely gone with his ACL injury. Brait, OJ, and Rob Gronkowski are going to have to be leading receivers on this team. Kyle Vaughn was actually the leading rusher. Kyle Vaughn hasn't seen many snaps this year, and I don't understand how the Buccaneers are going to do with 
a lot of their weapons gone because Tom Brady last year won them the Super Bowl, of course. Well, not him, but their team, their surrounding cast. Their defense was great last year. Their defense has taken a big decline, I think, and I think that that's going to be one of the reasons that they don't succeed as well in the playoffs this year. I don't see them going to the Super Bowl, really. Tom Brady had 410 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Three of those touchdowns came late, and the interception was early. But... What I'm more impressed with was Zach Wilson going 1933, 234 yards in a touchdown. This is definitely a bright spot than what he has been doing because he hasn't had a great season so far and he was the second quarterback drafted this year behind um, Trevor Lawrence, of course, who also hasn't been having a great season. But Michael Carter had three carries for 54 yards, so they never really got the rushing game going. Their leading receiver was not Elijah Moore for the first time in a while. And I think that's kind of hurt them because Buccaneers secondary right now is very limited and they don't have a lot of star power back there right now. So I don't think that it's a good thing that they can't get their wide receivers going when they're going against a not good secondary. And Elijah Moore has definitely shown that he can be a good wide receiver one for the Jets this year, uh, getting drafted and being a rookie and still having the season that he's had. Now, the last game that I want to go into before we switch over to basketball and get into some uh, college games, I think I want to talk a little bit about the Patriots game. Now, the Patriots game was different because it's against a team like Jacksonville. They play the Dolphins next week in a divisional matchup. But the Patriots lost two straight against the Colts and the Bills. So they really needed this kind of uplifting, not great team against the Jacksonville Jaguars, but the Jacksonville Jaguars struggled more than what I expected. And I think other people expected as well, because the Jacksonville Jaguars with the number one overall pick in the offense that they have and the defense that they have shouldn't only score 10 points and allow 50, especially against a rookie quarterback who throws 227 yards on you, three touchdowns on 22 completed passes out of 30. The running back situation in New England has always been a split backfield where both running backs are pretty good. Uh, Stevenson ran for 107 yards and 19 carries for two touchdowns. Damian Harris, I think, also had two touchdowns. Kendrick Bourne was their leading receiver of five receptions, 76 yards. And Jacoby Myers got a touchdown. It's his second of the season in his second career, which is, you know, it's always good to get those guys involved because they do a lot for your team and getting them a touchdown is kind of where they can celebrate and let that out. Trevor Lawrence, on the other hand, who was actually the number one while Mac Jones was the number 15 pick, threw 17 for 27, 197 yards, a touchdown and three interceptions. I understand the Patriots defense doesn't really allow rookie quarterbacks to do well, and they also do not allow for any quarterbacks to do well. But throwing three interceptions is kind of just being careless with the ball at that point. You have to find open receivers or throw the ball away. Being the number one overall pick, and of course, he still has his youth, and it makes bad decisions sometimes. But you have to stop trying to force passes because all it's doing is hurting your team. The running back situation is definitely poor right now with Antonin, or the Clemson running back they drafted this year, getting hurt before the season started, and now James Robinson getting hurt. And their wide receiver core has never been strong, but you have some veterans in there and you also have some rookies in there that are trying to mix and they've gotten rid of a lot of their 
star players. They had Jalen Ramsey before Allen Robinson and even Gardner Minshew, who I think was a good enough quarterback to be starting right now and maybe give Trevor Lawrence a year to get kind of inserted into the system. But Marvin Jones Jr. was definitely a good player for the Lions. He helped at the wide receiver two behind Kenny Galladay. But now at the Jacksonville Jaguars, he's only getting 46 yards on two receptions, which is not a good stat line at all, especially for a veteran wide receiver like him. But I think the main point I wanted to talk about in this game was how dominant the Patriots can look in some games and then how the next week they cannot look dominant at all. If you have a couple dominant games as the Patriots, they can go deep in the playoffs. If you play one of your games like you did against the Colts, against a team like the Bengals or the Chiefs, for example, you're going to get ran off the field and you're not going to have much luck there. And especially with the addition of the seventh position in the playoffs, they now have to face better teams if they lose next week against the Dolphins, who are very on and off and who had gotten blown out by the Tennessee Titans this week. Now for football, I want to be done there. I think those are the games that were most important this week, other than the Bills who beat the Falcons and now they retain the first seed in the AFC East. But I want to move on to basketball and first off talk about the Celtics. The Celtics this year have not been their normal selves. Uh, They don't look like they're a team ready for any type of playoff run at the moment. But they have had a couple bright spots in players like Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, a shooting guard, scores 50 points in a win against the Orlando Magic. But the only problem I have with this is that the Orlando Magic is such a bad team that why are you in overtime with them beating them by five points? The Orlando Magic is running a G League lineup right now in NBA games. They have players like Franz Wagner, who's a rookie, who's been playing pretty good, but Wendell Carter Jr., Mo Bamba, who never got minutes until this year, Frazier, and Gary Harris. Gary Harris, I will give him, he was a he was a decent player for the Nuggets for a while. He was a role player off the bench. But after that, your bench is, there's no depth on that team. And why, as a Celtics team that has a lot of talent going into this, The only reason that I can say is COVID. Uh, COVID protocols has taken out a lot of their players, and Tatum was sitting out this game too. Al Horford is back on their team, and he was starting this game, which Al Horford is not a player at this point in his career who should be starting on an NBA level. Or even players like Peyton Pritchard, who played off the bench 13 minutes with three points. That's a player that you don't really want in your lineup. Jalen Brown shot the ball 19 for 29 in his 46 minutes that he got and five for 10 from the three-point line. He also shot eight free throws, made seven of them. He had 11 rebounds, which I think is the thing that is getting overlooked right now, especially for a player like Jalen Brown who plays the shooting guard position. I think that's very impressive, getting 50 points and 11 rebounds on that double-double. He had two blocks, one steal, but he had seven turnovers. Now, if you're playing 46 minutes and trying to carry a team on your back like that. I can understand seven turnovers, but that's still being a little careless with the ball. And I think what I'm trying to get at with this is that the Boston Celtics need a little help right now. I think they don't need a star player 
like a a player that can lead their team because I think they have the pieces to lead their team right now. I think they need some depth on their bench that can be reliable to be like, hey, this guy can come in the game and play for us and I trust him. I think that's what they need right now. And that leads me to another team that I think has almost the same situation as that. The Pacers. The Pacers have DeMontis Sabonis. DeMontis Sabonis is a great player, and I think he is very overlooked when it comes to any accolades ever. But they lost to the Cavaliers just the other night, and the Pacers are 14-23 and 23 right now. The Cleveland Cavaliers have a good, a good young core in Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, and Evan Mobley. But the Pacers have Sabonis, Turner, and even new rookies like uh, Durant, Durante. And I feel like they should be doing better than what they are. Brogdon has been out for a lot this season, and he's been very day-to-day with the dark side of not playing a lot. I think that that's been hurting them especially because he's kind of the floor manager for them. But the Cleveland Cavaliers at the same point have that same kind of type of lineup where they have great bigs. The The Cleveland Cavaliers have Allen as well. They got from the Nets from a while ago, Jared Allen, who is a great center. Mobley, you can put him at power forward. And then you also have um, a couple of pieces they got from the Bulls in the trade. And then other young pieces like uh, Okuru and even still Kevin Love and other players like that. So I think that the Cavaliers won this game from their talent, but it's more about the Pacers season that's making them struggle because you have games like this against the Cavaliers that should be a, a comeback game and you should play well and try to get some momentum going on in the season, but they lose by four points. And especially with some of the players that you have, you're kind of wasting their potential. And especially with DeMontis Sabonis, Miles Turner, and even Brogdon and stuff in their primes right now, you should be getting playoff pushes and not losing records. And I think that they're really going to need some change in either management or coaching that changes this because it's, it's not their players right now. It has to be game plan. Now, I know I talked about this on my first podcast, but the Suns, the Suns on Sunday, January 2nd, played the Hornets. And I think the Hornets this year have been an all-around improved team with players like Miles Bridges, LaMelo Ball, even Gordon Hayward and Kelly Obre, who's been playing valuable minutes off the bench. The Suns absolutely destroyed them, 133.99. I think Devin Booker is a great player, don't get me wrong as a shooting guard, but I think the real leader of that team, even only being there for a year is Chris Paul. Chris Paul is such a good floor manager and gets his players open, gets them looks, and gets them everything that they can to succeed. I think that he's really leading that team right now. And on the other hand, LaMelo Ball is a young, is a young point guard that I don't think is ready to fully lead the Hornets yet. And I think that that's one of the problems the Hornets have, and that's why they're only 19 and 18 at the moment. They need a leader on that team that's a veteran. Gordon Hayward can't fill that role. Gordon Hayward's have has always been told to kind of sit back and play the role of the other players. And Miles Bridges is too young yet. Who's he's had a MIP 
season as well. Um, he can definitely get that award if he keeps playing the way he does. But you have a young team like this playing the Phoenix Suns, and the Phoenix Suns showed every flaw that the Hornets had. And I think that when teams like that can do that, you can tell they're veteran-led and that they're not going to they're not going to stop in the first round of the playoffs and they're not going to just stall out. They're going to keep going. And I think this Phoenix Suns team is a team to be reckoned with in the playoffs. I think that sums up most of the important stuff in the NBA at the moment. Nothing much else is happening except for a lot of COVID protocols. I want to switch over to college basketball for just a second. First, I want to talk about yesterday, uh, which would have been Monday, January 3rd, Wisconsin-Purdue. Wisconsin this year has been outstanding. I think I've seen them play some of the best basketball in a while that they have. And Purdue as well has played very good, being number three in the nation before getting beat by Wisconsin. Wisconsin wins this game by five points. And the way that they play is just a it's a fast pace. They run their offense and they get it done quick, quick, quick. And I really like watching it. They have a couple players in Johnny Davis, who scored 37 this game, and a rebounding leader also in Johnny Davis, who's a guard. And I think that's why that they're so they're so versatile. But the crazy thing is that he also led the team in assists. So he's leading all of the top three major categories in stats, while you have Purdue being led by Zach Eddy, who's a center with 24 points and then 10 rebounds. So this guy, I'm going to take a, a guess here. He's probably around 7-4. He is getting out-rebounded by a guard who is 6-5. And this kid's only a sophomore. This Johnny Davis is only a sophomore, but he's been playing some basketball of his life. He's averaging 22.3 points this year, 7.3 rebounds on 45% shooting. These are the guys that I see and I can see, hey, this guy is going to go in the NBA and he's going to do things. It doesn't matter if he gets drafted top 10 or top 20. I think that he can go into the NBA and make a, a team or a franchise like maybe even the Pacers. I think he can lead one of those teams because he's a reliable guard that's going to be there for you when you need it. And he's not, he's not, hey, this, this is my time, like a Zion Williamson. I think Zion Williamson is more of a, hey, this is my my time guy, and that's why he his team doesn't succeed when he's on the floor. The other game I wanted to go to, I wanted to talk, talk mostly about Wisconsin and how they played. The other team I want to talk about is Arizona and USC. USC, Arizona, number seven, number nine, game postponed. And I think that that game would have decided a lot because USC is 12-0. And Arizona's 12 and 1. I think this game would have decided if USC gets put up in the top five or maybe even top three. Because if USC wins this game, they show, hey, we're we're for real. And they get put up top with the Purdue's at the time and Gonzaga's and Dukes and teams like that. Arizona, on the other hand, could also prove at the same point, hey, we're for real. Look at look at what we did against USC. USC would have to get another pivotal win this season to be like, hey, we were for real when Arizona beat us. But that's that's not the total point. I think Arizona could have Arizona or USC in this game could have taken taken a big jump in the standings of the AP poll. I am gonna take a little hop over to Michigan State's basketball. 
Michigan State won 73-67 against Northwestern. And Northwestern is not a team that you can just look over. Northwestern at the time is 8-2. They've had a lot of postponed games this year. But they're fighters. They're definitely fighters. Every team in the Big Ten, even if they are have a losing record, they, they're all fighters. They're, the Big Ten is known for its scrappy play. And whenever it's a Big Ten team, like Wisconsin-Purdue, some, some game like that. But even less than that, like... If you get Rutgers going against Purdue, you Rutgers won that game on a buzzer beater because of their play and how every mindset in the Big Ten isn't, oh, we're going against Purdue, we're going to lose. It's, hey, we can win this game. We we have this. And I think it's in that conference that it's, it's down to earth and it's like, hey, we're going to do this. But the one, one bright spot in the Big Ten that I've been seeing is – with with the exception of teams like Wisconsin and some of the other big schools like that, I love seeing teams with no one one guy in control. Because in college basketball, you can have a team that's there's several players that all perform well in the scenarios that you need them to. Michigan State definitely has a guy in Gabe Brown that leads that team. But in your starting five, you have Bingham with 13, Brown with 20, Hauser with 10, Christie with 11, Marble coming off the bench, he has six, Hall has four, and AJ Hoggard has nine. When you can get guys off the bench that put in nine points for you that you need, like just without, without Michigan State's bench, they're not winning this game. And Northwestern tried their best to get this win and they just couldn't. Even with Northwestern, though, uh, 13 points, 12 points, 12 points, and 11 points with their leaders. So you have a more diverse a more diverse play style where it's not like the Warriors where it's like, well, in like 2015-16 where it's like either give it to Curry, Clay, and they shoot it, or you just have a bad possession. I love how they can all work together and play. This is going to do it. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.